Good morning, church. Glad that you're here today. My name is Lexi, and I have the privilege of serving as the youth pastor around here. Um, you probably walked in and noticed a few things, and I have to tell you, this morning is the most prepared I've been for this welcome. So we can thank Austin for that because he texted me at 6.34 this morning because he wanted me to make sure you were aware that our stage looked a little different. But I think you guys could have noticed that on your own. You think so? <laughs> anyway, I want us to remember that our mission here is still to lift up Christ, even though it looks a little different. We are in the preparing stages of getting ready for the Christmas musical. So with that being said, our side of the stage doesn't look the same because a lot of the choir, oh, this was what I was not prepared for, risers, blocks, there you go, um, are set up already for our children, and as you could imagine, this lovely band would not have been able to fit up there. So, um, all of that to say, things are going to look a little different around here until the Christmas musical, but it will be an amazing reveal, don't you fret. I will pray us in, and we'll go ahead and get started. God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to gather together, to be in your presence. You are a holy God, and we long to know you and to be known by you. I am thankful for the ways that your presence is felt in and out of this space. May you continue to make your presence known both in our minds and our hearts and through our actions. May you call us deeper into the plan that you have laid out before us through the songs that we sing, through the words that are spoken, through the scripture that is read. May we know you and be known by you. Lord, continue to shine in this place. Continue to take us into our corners of the world to love as you have loved us and to walk justly and humbly into our communities. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Good morning. Would you stand if you are able as we sing about who God is, who Jesus is in our lives? The way, the truth, the life, I believe you are the way, the truth. Every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress, you are my portion, you are my hiding place. I believe you are the way, the truth.
comes from Psalm 145, verses 1 through 5 and 17 through 21. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name. The word of the Lord.
Yes, Lord, how great thou art. How great are you who began a work in goodness in your creation. How great are you to invite us into a divine call, a participation, a sacred invitation to work alongside you, to bring hope, love, and justice to the world that was created by you, by people that were created by you. May we lean into the path, the ways that you are making, when we believe that our call, the way you call us, is a sacred and holy call, and that we are already equipped with the tools to bring about restoration and love and justice alongside you. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here. Moving in our midst, I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Cause you are the maker, miracle worker. Promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every
stop working Even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop, you never stop working God's presence with us this morning, would you turn to your neighbor and acknowledge God's presence in them as well? Take this time to pass the peace of Christ to each other. Good morning, everybody. So great to be with all of you today. Uh, go ahead and say that last hello. Make your way back to your seats. Uh, for, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Tyler. I'm the Director of Communications here at San Diego First Church. And uh, it's so good to be able to worship alongside all of you today. Uh, this is the point in our service where we're able to pray over our kids and teens as they are dismissed and go off to their children's church and uh, youth Bible study programming that they do uh, during this time. Uh, so if you'll join me in reading the prayer that's up on the screen here. 
This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. See you, kids. See you, teens. Well, before I let you all know about some things happening in the life of our church, just want to make sure that you're aware, as always, of the QR code that's on the front of your bulletin, as well as on the screen right here. You can point your smartphone camera right at that, and that'll lead you to a link to a very short Google form. You can just put your name. If you have a change in your mailing address or contact info, you can let us know through that form. Or if you have a prayer request or anything else you'd like to share with the church staff, please use that quick form. If you don't already receive our weekly newsletter that uh, gets emailed out every Friday afternoon, be sure to include your email on this form. We subscribe every email that we get through this form to um, our email audience, and then you'll be able to get uh, the announcements and stuff that we share in this service, as well as other their updates on church life um, in your email every Friday afternoon. Some important things that are coming up. If you've walked in, you probably passed the very tall whiteboard in the foyer. We're still collecting signups for our Thanksgiving food drive in partnership uh, with Southeast San Diego Church of the Nazarene. Uh, They host an awesome community dinner every uh, Thanksgiving week, every year, um, and we get to partner with them in donating some of the food and supplies that are necessary for them to host that event. And so uh, if you'd like to sign up on the whiteboard out there after service today, there's still lots of slots open for you to provide tin foil or canned vegetables or whatever you might want to be able to shop for um, and come leave that with us uh, on a subsequent Sunday before November 20th and then we will take care of getting all those items down uh, to the church for them to have that event. So it's a great way for us to partner with another local ministry and so invite you to participate in that with all of us. Uh, We also have coming up all of our exciting Advent events. Uh, November 27th, at the end of this month, is the first Sunday of the Advent season. Uh, The schedule for our our special Advent services is on your bulletin as well as up on the screen here. It'll be in the email for the coming weeks. Uh, So make sure that you mark your calendar. We'd love to see you here um, as we anticipate and celebrate the birth of Christ together this season. Uh, The very first of these special events is our annual Joyful Sounds service uh, that takes place over in the Family Life Center uh, two times, both 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m., Uh, This is a great service for you to invite your friends, your neighbors. It's a musical telling of the Christmas story uh, led by Victor Lubinsky and the awesome choir and orchestra that gets put together every year for this event. So please invite your friends and family and come and join us um, on December 4th for either time uh, for that special service. Uh, I want to make sure any of the parents or friends of teens in this room also know about our Nazarene Youth Conference. Uh, It's coming up next summer in Tampa Bay, Florida. This is an annual, or not annual, it's held every four years for teens across uh, North America, really, in different locations. And Lexi Mercado, our youth pastor, is leading a team of interested uh, high schoolers to go attend this once-in-a-lifetime event. So if there's a teen in your life that might be interested in attending this kind of event, it's a huge service opportunity, worship, get to know other Nazarene teens across the country um, and from around the world, really. Um, And so if you know somebody that might be interested in this, please connect with us in the church office. We'd be happy to put them in touch with Lexi and, and get aboard this team that's heading to NYC. And then lastly, next summer also, uh, some of you, or most of you, are probably aware of our neighbor, Point Loma Nazarene University. Uh, They do a Love Works program. It's a short-term missions program that they hold during the summers, and they're currently in the process of recruiting and training leaders to go on these short-term missions trips uh, with the students from the university. And so if missions is an area that you're interested in and supporting or maybe being a part of leading one of these trips, uh, we'd love to connect you uh, with uh, Brian Becker and the ministry team over at Point Loma Nazarene University. So please contact the church office and let us know if that's something you might be interested in. At this point, we're going to continue with our worship with a special song presentation.
These are Paul's words to the early Christians in 2 Thessalonians. 
concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily, sorry, not to be easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the Lord in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and words. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Patty. My name is Dee, and it is such a privilege to be here at this place and to have a chance to maybe dig into this passage a little more deeply. Um, this Second Thessalonians passage has with it some overtones of uh, things that we sometimes jump into and sometimes hesitate jumping into. Um, so I'm going to try and not avoid, but talk about this passage and what um, it might mean for us this particular morning. It, it starts off by making a comment about what appears to be some kind of an epic calendar, a calendar of things that are supposed to happen, things that... Um, Believers were waiting on, and I would contend the believers continue to this day to wait on, at least in some ways, speculation, comments about who the person of lawlessness is, what the day of our Lord will be like, and the admonition from the writer of Thessalonians says, concerning this epic calendar, don't be alarmed. Don't let it cause you to be unsettled. Don't, don't let it cause you to become divisive, to draw lines in the sand. Don't be bent out of shape. Don't be preoccupied with speculation that Jubilee has already arrived. It hasn't. I feel like Inherent in these opening few verses is this notion, trust me, you'll know. 
But we often get caught up in speculation on spiritual matters, trying to understand what it is that is promised, what is yet to come, how we participate in it, and what are the signs that things are about to take place. Here is what I struggle with, maybe nobody else has, but I do, and that is that 80 to 100 generations have passed with numerous speculations and thoughts, ideas of what was to happen. And there are certainly some things that took place in this generation that had the markings of what it is that we speculate about in our generation. So then, either all has already happened and we didn't recognize it, or things are yet to come and we're trying to figure out how to recognize it. And it feels very easy to spin our wheels and spin our wheels and spin our wheels. And nothing spiritually productive comes from being preoccupied with some things that seem clouded. Almost as if we can go to one of Paul's writings that is very familiar to us out of Corinthians, that chapter 13 on love, where he says, I see through a glass darkly. There's going to come a time when I see face to face. I'm going to just see as clear as can be. We just have to acknowledge that there are times when it just feels like when I'm trying to see where things are going, the, the darkness of the glass just keeps me from seeing as clearly as I would like to see. So then, do we dismiss this passage as either something that's tough to recognize because we weren't in some previous context or tough to understand because we don't yet know all of the things that are yet to come to pass? Or is there something here that might open up to us and help us live today? If so, what might that be? In verses 3 and 4, the author here goes on to say, my paraphrase, that day won't come until rebellion and lawlessness show themselves and the inevitable destruction that follows those things. The darkness inevitably shows up in the temple to be exalted and worshipped out of control, proclaiming to be God. So here's the question I would like to pose to you this morning. What if I wrestle with this passage from the posture of, what if I am the person of lawlessness? We have this notion that there'll be somebody that will set themselves up as God, that they'll, they'll stand in the temple. And certainly there was an event that took place in the first century um, that the temple was desecrated by somebody that came into the temple. But I also want to ask the question, what if, I, if I'm not the person of lawlessness, what if I am a person of lawlessness? What if I am the one that allows those parts of me to set up residence in the temple of my heart 
and desecrate that which God has created to be holy, to be sacred, to be precious? And, and how does that come to pass? I think sometimes it comes to pass because it's so hard for us to acknowledge parts of us that are in the process of being reconciled. The call is to be holy. I wish there was a wonderful snap of a finger and all of a sudden I am. But the beauty of the journey is that Jesus proclaims that I am. Because of what Christ did, grace says, I am a holy creation of God, becoming holy by God's grace. I am proclaimed holy because of what Christ has done. But I also realize that there is so much of my journey that needs that touch of the Spirit to be transformed. And the extent to which I pretend that's unnecessary, that lawlessness begins to creep up. It steps into place of prominence. It steps into places of my heart. It begins to lead me into places that inevitably take me down a pathway of destruction. But I don't fully acknowledge that because I think I know how to do it best. Our propensity when we've been saved by the grace of God is then to prove to God that I can handle it. I can get it right, God. Thank you for the forgiveness, and I'm going to show you. I can make this work. I can get this right. It's when we come back to God with a mess that's been made that then the possibility of what God's grace is really all about begins to transform us acknowledging the desperate need for the Holy Spirit to move in our life. But it's not just acknowledging some of the things, it's acknowledging what's behind some of the issues that lead me down those pathways. The lawlessness inside of me, inside of you. It's not so much, using an example, lying. It's behind it the desire to be accepted and the fear of being rejected. So I deceive. The deception certainly needs to be addressed, but what is it that drives that? I long to be liked. I long to be included. I don't want to disappoint. I have a fear of being rejected. And the deception that dwells within, begins to find fertile ground and leads me down a pathway that is not honest about what's going on inside of me or true to who I was created. Lust. Driven by a very natural desire for intimacy and a terrible fear of rejection. And those two things lead down a pathway where lawlessness begins to take root in my heart. What if I am a person of lawlessness? Anger at somebody else. I, I, I love the story that's told of um, Billy Graham's wife, Catherine. That's right, isn't it? Catherine Graham? 
Billy Graham's wife, um, who was asked, have you ever considered divorcing your husband? The wonderful evangelist Billy Graham. And she said, no, I never have. I've thought of killing him numerous times, but I've never <laughs> thought of divorce. I love that line for multiple reasons, but one is there is an acknowledgement that in relationship, we have things that stir up inside of us because when somebody knows us well, whether it's intentional or not, they know buttons that get pushed and those buttons can just start triggering things inside of us that migrate from frustration to anger to going Catherine Graham on somebody. So that's the feeling that evolves when there's fertile ground for those things that have not been yet transformed. And transformation comes not so much in that they disappear. The desire for intimacy doesn't disappear. The desire to be accepted doesn't disappear. It becomes touched by the grace of God and moved in such ways that we find ways to express those for their greatest good. Powered by the grace of Christ in us. So I don't know about the, the man of lawlessness that's setting up in a temple, but I do know that there dwells within me that which seemingly God gives reign, privilege to express. I mean, that's what this passage says about the lawlessness one who's to come is there is a granting, but it's limited by God's grace. God gracefully puts a cap on that, but the purpose is so that it might be exposed. And in being exposed, that which is destructive is put away. And that which is moved by love, steps into the temple, into my heart, and leads me down a new path. A path where love not only transforms me, but because it's transformed me, I then have the possibility of becoming one who transforms the places where I am. I know many of you have heard this portion of one of the stories of my oldest, who was, as a three and a half, four year old, sitting in the back seat of the car as I made a sharp left turn, sharper than I should have, and she got really jostled in the back. And she'd finally apparently had enough because she let it come out. We hadn't come to a full stop yet, but she leaned as far forward as she could and she put her hand on my shoulders and she said, Dad, I, I would never say you're a jerk because that would hurt you in your heart. But I think it a lot in my head. 
What? I, I was speechless, of course. She had gotten her point across, and I had no comeback in that moment because she had faithfully acknowledged I would never say this. <laughs> Just telling you what's spinning up here. I love that she had at least some level of a filter. And truth be told, fortunately, most of us have fairly good filters as well. But I think every once in a while, we would long to say, but I think this a lot in my head. So let me tell you what I've been thinking. And that piece, we sometimes feel, I believe, within the church, we posture a spiritual journey that sometimes feels devoid of humanity. What does it mean to be human? I have fears and I have hopes. I have desires and I have these apprehensions. They stir inside of me. It's those things that God's spirit begins to transform, not negate, but in some ways to exalt as the most beautiful part of humanity, then used for good, empowered by grace, inspired by love. It's here that I think Jubilee then begins to take place. Has Jubilee come? Well, not fully yet. Is it possible that Jubilee can happen within me? Emphatically, yes. In the midst of tough circumstances or great blessing, in the midst of hard relationships or beautiful relationships, Jubilee can take place as I try and allow God's Spirit to work in my life. I believe when I get down to verse 11 and 12, there's a clarity to this as God begins to teach us that, that darkness deceives. And there's a shadow part of my journey that can be very deceptive to me if I let it fester and spin and ferment. But if that darkness gets handled by God's Spirit, something begins to change. It shifts to the truth. The truth is, I have fears. The truth is, God knows that. The truth is, God walks with me in the midst of the fears. The truth is, I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not fear because God is with me. Our propensity, though, is to take that stuff and push it down so much that it has to find an outlet, and then you become the projection screen on which I project all my toxicity. I vilify you. I get angry at things you say. 
I get frustrated by the things that are right beside me. We do it over and over again. We vilify personalities. We vilify postures that groups of people have taken. History is filled with moments where groups of people have been vilified. And as a result of that, horrific things have, been ta have taken place. We're not far from that at any point in time. We see it all the time in our culture. Are we going to be participants in that same way? Unaware of what's inside of us, we throw it onto everyone else. It causes divisions between groups. It causes divisions between political parties. It causes divisions between family members. It causes divisions in homes and in neighborhoods. It wreaks havoc because I have a tough time acknowledging what's inside of me. It is truly impossible for me to learn anything from you until I admit I can learn something from you. But as soon as I admit I can learn something from you, oh, the posture starts shifting and changing. And the propensity to lawlessness is pierced and the toxicity begins to fall away. I feel like we never reference this as a prophetic passage, but it is one of the most beautiful prophetic passages of Jesus' ministry. In the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus speaks to the crowds. And he says, why do you pay so much attention to the speck of sawdust that is in the other person's eye when there's a two-by-four hanging out of yours? I mean, seriously, you seem so preoccupied with this speck of sawdust. I'm going to say it again. You actually have like a sawmill in your eye working and don't even know that. Pay attention to what's going on inside of your own eye. Maybe, maybe after you've done that, you might be given the opportunity to help with someone else. It is as if this prophetic word keeps coming to pass in our culture, in our communities, in our relationships. Oh, if I would pay attention to the two by four that everybody else notices right here, and I look right past it. It's the acknowledgement of that which stirs within. And note who he's talking to. At the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, he went up on a hillside and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, This is written to us for those who are considering or in the midst of trying to follow Christ. What if I'm a person of lawlessness? What if I have allowed my fears, my prejudices, my uncertainties 
my frustrations, my angers, to take up residence in the temple of my heart? What if I've allowed them to begin to take hold and create in me this angst, this division, this hostility? And what if this morning I said, oh God, here I am again. I need your spirit of grace to transform me. I need your love to go into all of those places that are injured and hurt and afraid and uncertain, worried about where I fit, where I belong. Do I know what I need to know? Have I figured out the right things that everybody's supposed to figure out? I need your love, oh God. If you choose to send it through someone here beside me, if you choose to use the words of someone in my life, if you choose to let me see your world through a new set of eyes, so be it. But I need your love in these most tender and broken places so that I don't contribute to what's written about lawlessness and division and pain, but instead I contribute through being loved to heaven touching earth again. Oh God in heaven, You tell us in your word that we were meant for grace. We were designed for holiness. That we function best in love. Both as recipients and purveyors of love. And that's the truth. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the glorious nature of life in you, O Lord. So help us to hear your words. Stand steady. Be faithful. May the Christ who loves us, the God of grace who offers eternal encouragement and hope, encourage our hearts, strengthen our spirits, and empower us in everything we say and do. Amen. Matt, come and lead us to the table of grace. Christ open, opens up the table, pulls up a chair, and offers our lawlessness to come to the table of grace. That Christ meets us where we're at with all of our various degrees of separation. So whether we are consumed by our own ego and anger and frustration and anxieties, or we admit that we are on the journey 
of conforming ourselves to the image of God. No matter where we are in that midst, we come to the table of grace, confessing our lawlessness, turning it over to the one who redeems all things, to the one who is making all things new. So whether this is their first time here at the table or you're a regular, we come to the table seeking God's love and the forgiveness of that lawlessness. While our servers come forward, let us meditate on the song that is offered by our choir.
on the night that Christ was betrayed. He was with his disciples sharing a meal and he took a common loaf of bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Likewise, in the middle of the meal, Christ took a cup. He said, this is my body poured out for you. Or excuse me, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins, which is the new covenant. Take and drink. This is the mystery of faith that Christ has come dwelled with us, sacrificed, has risen from the dead, and now transforms us into his body in the world. Thanks be to God. As we dismiss, we will have Gracie uh, be able to uh, play the, the postlude for us. We're excited about that. If you'd like, you can hang and listen, or you can chat and fellowship amongst yourselves. But this is the benediction for us for this morning. That we might leave this place confessing our lawlessness, handing that over to the Christ who is making all things new, that redeems us and sends us out into the world as the holy ones reflecting his image to a lawless world that God might use us to transform the entire world into his image. Go in the knowledge of grace and peace.